Friends and fellow citizens, welcome to the podcast. Today's podcast is brought to you by Radio Free New Hampshire Studios in Lebanon, New Hampshire, where you can check us out online at RadioFreeNH.com. Book time in the studio, learn about the industry, listen to the latest podcasts, all at RadioFreeNH.com. Today I sat down with Mr. G. Scott Graham, licensed substance abuse counselor, Appalachian Trail through hiker, ordained minister, tough mutter, personal trainer, and author, to talk about his new book, Determining Marijuana Use in the Age of Legalization. And now, Mr. G. Scott Graham. All right, here we go. Welcome to the podcast. It's good to be here. So um, I wanted to uh, get to know you a little bit. Uh, we want to talk about your book mm-hmm. today, uh, Determining Marijuana Use in the Age of Legalization. Mm-hmm. And um, what, uh, what prompted you to, to write this book? It was initially going to be a white paper, so just a small little piece. And I was going to write about the difficulties clinicians face in, as marijuana is becoming more and more prevalent legally, the difficulties that clinicians are going to face trying to figure out how much is too much. Mm-hmm. And that was the driving piece because, you know, you can take, you can get marijuana legally in drops. You can get marijuana legally in candies. You can get in all kinds of different forms. And that's going to be really complicated for people to figure out when someone comes in and says, well, I'm taking two gummies a day. Well, what the heck does that mean? Right. right? I mean, it's in, in the old days, if someone came in and said, you know, I'm smoking marijuana, all these yellow flags went up. And if they said, I'm smoking, you know, two joints a day, red flags went up. Like, that's a big deal. Now, what does that mean? If someone comes in and says, I'm smoking a joint a day, someone else comes in and says, well, I'm taking five grams of tincture every half hour. What is the difference? What I mean, who's taking more? So... All the different forms of marijuana, I mean, there's quite a few ways to, to get marijuana these days. You mentioned tincture, uh, smoking what you refer to in the book as flour. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, I think that's pretty common terminology, or it's developing to be common terminology now. Yeah, it's, it's you know, it's, it's, there's, this, there's a force of political correctness going out there. And there's the forces of the um, pro-marijuana people that are going out there and trying to trying to shift our language around things. And so I needed to have something to refer to the raw form of marijuana. Mm-hmm. It's like, do I say herb? Do I say flower? Do I, what do I say? And so the, the prevalence when you go into the marijuana stores and you, they give you the brochure to look at to pick what you want off the menu, it's all identified as flower. Mm-hmm. Some call it herb, but flower seems the most prevalent. So... Yeah, that seems to be the terminology. I was looking at another book. Um, it's a anti-legalization uh, uh, book. Uh, it's it's not well balanced, and he says that right in the the book itself. Tell your children the truth about marijuana, mental illness, and violence. And it's uh, <laughs> it's it's written by a gentleman who um, who uh, was a reporter, is a reporter. And he's not a medical professional, but he took a real interest in in the legalization trend and uh, wrote an opposing piece. And, uh, but as far as, um, uh, you know, verbiage works, it pretty much coincides with what you're, you're talking about when you're referring to flower and, and right. such. And he also does talk about dosage as, as a question. So the different forms that you can 
buy marijuana now legally. So we, tincture is what? That's an oil? Yeah, so the, the, basically you've got marijuana flower mm -hmm. that is what we all know of, right? Roll a joint, smoke it in a pipe, and then they, they take this marijuana flower and they go through this process to get pure marijuana, 100% THC. And that's typically measured in grams. And then they take this and they mix it with stuff. And so you can get marijuana um, tinctures, which is basically mixed with oil. So you take a drop. And by the way, when I said five grams per every, every half hour is a drop, if you were doing that, you would be flat on the floor. <laughs> You can put it in candy, you can put it in gummies, you can put it in soda, you can make a mixed drink with it, you can put it in supposit, you can get marijuana suppositories, how's that? You can get marijuana um, uh, hand lotion that's got THC mixed in with it. And so it comes down to mixing these, basically these, this distilled product that then they can put in all kinds of different other things. So then that would be the base to go another item. I mean, you mentioned, I think in your book, you talk about um, edibles, uh, vape. That's mm -hmm. another, it seems to be a, something that they're also using in dispensaries where they're prescribing to, to patients that are using marijuana for pain treatment. I think vaping is one of the, the methods that they can pick it up. Right, and, and, and vaping's, vaping's much more controlled mm -hmm. because you can get a cartridge that has a certain amount of guaranteed THC in it and you know you don't have to worry about you know the loss of marijuana through the side stream which is you know as you're fumbling around with a joint or a right. or a pipe half of it's going up in smoke no pun intended and half of it's you know you're you're coughing it out so you can take a small you know hit off of a vape pen and that's that. You can, you, can get a, you can get a five milligram vape pen and take a half a hit, and so you only get two, two and a half milligrams in your system. So with the idea that, um, that there are so many different ways to deliver marijuana, it, you've created a sheet that talks about how to um, just sort of estimate what somebody's marijuana intake is. And one of the things that I found to be really interesting is the idea that when people are smoking flour, there is there's just so much that's unknown as to how much of that's actually absorbed. Whereas if you're taking an edible or if you're taking a, an oil or a beverage like, or a vape even, it's, it's pretty controlled. I mean, you're going to, I guess you're going to breathe out some, some of the vape fluid as well. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But when you're smoking, I mean, you have really a very little idea of how much you're actually absorbing or, or, or is there a pretty good way to estimate It's it? really sketchy because you have to estimate the percentage of THC and then break that down into how much is a how much of that is in a gram, and then break that down into you know how much is in a joint. Is it a fat joint or a little joint? Is it a is it an average size joint? And and so it's really hard to guess what that is. Mm -hmm. And most folks aren't necessarily going to remember. Am I did I get the 22% THC pot? Did I buy the 20%? Did I buy the 17%? There's no consistent labeling. Mm -hmm. It's like a major mess. Like if you went and bought a bottle of soda at the grocery store, the labeling on that bottle of soda in terms of cal calories, fat, protein, uh, recommended daily allowance is like a million times clearer then what you you have to have a, a degree in rocket science to understand what you're getting from these different products. Now, you're writing this um, as a Vermonter, and, and you also maintain an office in Massachusetts. I do. So 
very different laws in both states. So in Vermont now, it's, it's I think, just brand new legalization there for recreational use, correct? That was recent? Legalization up to a certain point, yeah. right? And after that, it becomes criminalized. So you got various states as they're sorting this stuff out. You know, you have legal for, mer- for medical, you have completely illegal. Mm-hmm. Then you've got some states that are, well, it's completely illegal, but medical use is okay. And then other states have decriminalized it, which means it's not legal, but that's not, they're not going to send you to the jail because you've got marijuana. Up to a certain point. Up to a certain that point. Year, yeah. Up to, yes. Yeah. So you've got all this mixtures of stuff coming together that um, are at play, and that impacts, that's one of the things that impacts how much you can buy and how they're um, packaging it because they don't want you to walk out of the marijuana store with your bag of goodies and then get arrested because you have more marijuana than you're supposed to have in the state that you just bought it in. So in Vermont right now, it's what, do you, how familiar are you with the laws? What, what is allowed and what's not allowed? Or not I'm not familiar? totally familiar with yeah. what's, what's allowed and not allowed. And so when I've gone down to the marijuana store and bought a bag of goodies, mm-hmm. I've trusted that <laughs> over the limit when I drive back into Vermont. So in Vermont right now, there's no marijuana store to buy it at. You can grow it or you can there are get dis- it from a friend. There are dispensaries around the state mm-hmm. for medical use. But so not for recreational. Not for recreational use. If you want something for recreational use, you've got to drive down to Massachusetts and buy it from a marijuana store there and pay the Massachusetts tax, which right. is 20%. Which is, I mean, that's okay. Yeah. 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 And, or you can grow it. Is, is that true or is that not Yes, true? you can grow it. You can but grow that's it. quite a process. Yeah, it's quite, it's, it is, somebody had said to me uh, as I was writing this book, one of the other collaborators, because I've gotten some feedback from other drug and alcohol counselors, and one of them said, well, you know what's going to happen is that as it gets legal, because you know, my prediction is that we're not going to see people smoking pot five years down the road, ten years down the road. We're going to see people go into... Um, the Rite Aid or the, you know, the, the Walgreens, and they're going to get their, instead of getting Tylenol PM, they're going to get Tylenol THC. Mm-hmm. And it's going to be embedded in products. And so she said to me, she said, well, she said, except for, she said, I think the, the poor people are going to still grow it because they're not going to be able to afford to go buy it. And I said, really? I said, come on, let's just look at alcohol today. How many people do you know that make their own alcohol? Right. The people that I know that make their own alcohol are hobbyists, right? They're making their, you know, their five gallons of their own beer or they bought a wine kit mm-hmm. and they're making their burgundy wine from their grapes they're growing in their backyard. That's the same way it's going to be with marijuana. It is a complicated difficult process to grow marijuana. You certainly can't be moving plants from one place to another to control lights, control temperature. Your electric bill is going to go sky high. And you're not going to grow it naturally just outside in our climate anyway on a regular basis? No, no. And so now in Massachusetts, it's very different than what you're seeing in Vermont. So in Massachusetts, you're talking about there's stores you can go into and just buy for recreational purposes? Yes. Yeah, it's like going to Disneyland. And the assortment? It's, it's, it, when you go into the, um, I can only talk about the Netta store. That's the, there's two Netta stores in Brookline and I think Northampton. Mm-hmm. And you go in and really nice building, really clean outside. There is a line of people. 
And every time I've gone in there, there has been a line of people. And every time I've gone in there, I've asked the folks, is this how it typically is? And they say, well, we open up at 8 and we close at 10 p.m. And there is a line from when we open till we close every single day. And is it cash only when you go in or do they accept debit card or how does that work You can now? go in with your debit card. There's a fee. Mm-hmm. And I just learned this because yeah. I, but most people bring cash and I mean like wads of cash. That's, there's more police than you could ever imagine. Yeah. There, I think the last time I was there, I saw six police hanging out, directing traffic, watching. That's a lot of cash when you think sure. about an yeah. endless stream of people coming in from eight in the morning till 10 in the evening, people spending a hundred to 200 bucks a crack. Mm-hmm. That's a lot of money yeah. <laughs> just sitting around. Yeah. Um, and you don't browse. It's not a store that you could... It is, it is not a uh, store where you just wander through. You, you are in line from the outside. You go in. There's a line to the cash register, unless you've pre-ordered, and mm-hmm. then they have your little bag waiting for you. You go up to the cash register. They give you a menu. You tell them what you want. They bring it to you. They... You give them their money, and then you're out another door right behind the cash register. So it is just in the front door, out the back door, in the front door, out the back door. I think we were in there for like maybe seven minutes, and we were just and we were chatting with the person that was back there asking them some questions about stuff. Most people are in and out, in and out, in and out. That's a lot of people. Yeah, exit through the gift shop. Right. <laughs> That's gone. exactly what it's like. Yeah. It's a, uh, they check your ID when you come in. And they, they scan your ID when you come in, and then they um, check your ID again when you go to purchase whatever you're purchasing. And that's independently owned as far as you know? Mm-hmm. It's, it's not a... Okay. Um, yeah, I remember watching a documentary uh, on legalization some time ago, and, and I've seen a few of them, of course, and they were talking about in Colorado when they first started to convert the dispensaries from medical only to recreational, and how they struggled because it was pure cash. They weren't allowed to use any banking they couldn't make deposits. Uh, they couldn't use checking. Uh, so these dispensaries were sitting on just stacks of cash, tens of thousands of dollars. Their payroll was in cash. All their accounts receivable, uh, paying their vendors. Of course, everything was in cash. And that creates a real problem. So hopefully there'll be some changes uh, along those lines. But Right, because it's still illegal, quote-unquote, on the federal level. So if you're putting money in a federal bank, you know, it becomes sketchy. and. Right. And banks, some banks are saying, well, we don't want to deal with that, that money. We don't want that business. So you got to find a bank that will accept the marijuana money. It's crazy because if you've ever seen the documentary Cocaine Cowboys, uh, it's a documentary about uh, the 80s and cocaine mm-hmm. in Miami. The banks seem to have no problem back then accepting <laughs> right. as much cash as yeah. possibly coming in the door. Right. So, but right. yeah, so that seems to be a real, a real problem. But you can use a debit card, so obviously mm-hmm. there's some crossover that's being allowed right right so so when we go back to the beginning here we, we look back at your book uh, which talks about uh, how to calculate dosage um, and, and you talked a little bit about uh, from a medical perspective people want to know what are you learning about dosages and I know it varies from person to person probably tremendously but in the medical community or, or as you're learning about why this is necessary um, have you learned anything about what doctors are looking at as far as um, how much 
THC is too much THC or is there, are there any standards that you've seen for that? No, and people aren't really clear. And I, and I should point out that it, it really doesn't vary. That's a, that's a myth that's put out by the marijuana industry to keep people from really pushing this topic. It doesn't really vary that from person to person. Hmm. If you, it, there's certainly going to be a shift, just like with any substance you put in your body, right? Look at alcohol. If someone comes into a bar and they're skinny, they're going to metabolize the alcohol a little bit faster or differently than some guy that comes in that's big like me. But when push comes to shove, if we both have four shots in an hour, we're both going to be over the legal limit. Right. Yeah. Right? It's, it's, it's pretty clear that that's a piece that happens. And the same thing is true with marijuana. This whole piece of well, it's all individual. Oh, go slow. Oh, it's it's just a it's just a smokescreen to keep people from really figuring out. All right, what's a reasonable amount to take? And they can't figure out. And this is the this is the catch twenty two. They can't figure out what's a reasonable amount to take until there's some sort of consistent, uh, comparable metric. So you can say this is how much you're taking. Mm-hmm. If it's all kind of loosey goosey, wishy washy then you really don't know. You know, this person smoked a joint, this person did some tincture, that person did some brownies, that person did some gummies. Well, what we don't have a consistent way to measure across these products. You can't calculate um, the impact. There's no way to do that. We, we can do that with alcohol because we roughly know that a shot equals a glass of beer equals a glass of wine, right. roughly. We, everybody knows that, or most people know that piece. If you've got a DUI, you've got you know that piece. Mm-hmm. If you work in a bar, you know that piece. If you're trying to gauge your alcohol intake, you know that piece, right? And we know it takes about an hour for that to wear off. And if you have two shots in an hour, your blood alcohol is going to be probably above the limit, right? Yeah, that's that's for for sure. Yeah, but you can't you, you can't calculate that unless you know. A shot equals a beer equals a glass of wine. So as you're as you're calculating this, um, and, and you have your your uh, cannabis consumption calculator that you uh, right. I put this. I put the sheet together right. so that you can go through all the math. And it's really the the sheet is really directed towards doctors and nurses and public health professionals and and substance abuse counselors to try to sort it out when somebody comes in. You know, two or three years from now, and they take they take a whole barrage of different marijuana products. Mm-hmm. So one of the arguments in this book uh, that I told you about, where he's concerned about legalization, is that um, he, this author is justifying the idea that marijuana causes psychosis or it, it uh, can create schizophrenia. Um, and I, I don't know that I see the numbers that he pulls out quite the same. I think that there's a lot of uh, um, Incorrect assumptions from what I saw, but then again, I'm just a dummy. I have no idea what you know these guys are actually um, basing a lot of this on. But in your own experience, you're coming from an interesting angle because you're a drug and alcohol counselor. You're a licensed yeah, counselor. Yeah, I've been licensed for 30 years. Yep. I've been working in the field. Yet you um, enjoy 
a little THC from time to time. Oh, definitely. And you uh, co-own I, I enjoy a, beer too. I yeah. mean, and I co- yeah, we I co-own a bar. You co-own a bar that's the number three seller of uh, Jack uh, Daniels Jack in New Hampshire. <laughs> <laughs> so, and I'm right there with you. I also am a drug dealer. I own a bar that sells uh, alcohol. We have over a hundred different types of tequilas and such. So, so you've got a pretty interesting perspective. On the one hand, uh, you know, we're selling uh, one of the most powerful drugs out there, one of the most abused drugs out there, alcohol. Um, you enjoy, you know, using alcohol in moderation, mm-hmm. I assume, and THC. Yet you're also um, interacting with people as a as a counselor. So that's a pretty unique perspective. What? How do you reconcile those things for yourself? Anything that we do in excess can be problematic. If you decided you were going to take up marathon running and that became your habit and you were running 80, 90, 100 miles a week to train for your next marathon, after a year of this, your body's going to be wrecked from doing that because that's too much. If you drink too much water at one time, you are going to end up in the emergency room. Water, right? Right, Water. Right? So anything in excess is, is not healthy. We have to live life in balance. And so the same thing is true with alcohol. The same thing is true with marijuana. You know, if you are getting drunk all the time, if you're, if you're intoxicated day in and day out, drinking a fifth of, you know, here's what, if somebody, was, somebody came up to you and you said, how much do you drink? And they said, I drink a half a fifth a day. Would you consider that a lot or uh, would you consider that normal? You're right. To me, that would seem like a lot. Yeah, you'd be like, holy crap, you're drinking a half a fifth a day. If someone came up to you and said, I'm taking 10 5 milligram gummies four times a week, is that a lot? Yeah, I have no idea. Yeah, no idea. That's the problem. Mm -hmm. That is the problem. We need to be able to have somebody, we need to be able to say, oh, you're taking, you know, four or five milligram gummies four times a week, three or four times a week. That's a problem. Or it's not a problem. But we can't get there until we have some consistent labeling piece right. so we know what we're getting and we can compare. Yeah, and that to me seems like the, one of the main arguments for legalization. I mean, well, I think that there's quite a few. Um, one is, um, of course, the prison system and overcrowding and the whole concept, which is, uh, you know, I guess not to be too discussed today, but the idea of incarcerating people for nonviolent drug mm-hmm. offenses. To, mm-hmm. to a lot of people, that's pretty offensive. Um, and it's packing our prisons full of nonviolent offenders. The other uh, factors to me that seem to make a lot of sense for the argument for legalization is the control of consistency, the product. You're not going to go down and purchase product that's laced with fentanyl. Um, you're not going to purchase product that has uh, you know, glass fiber in it. Uh, you're not going to purchase product that's been tainted from a legal dispensary. Uh, you would assume that their quality control is going to be exceptional. And then the other part of it is you're taking the money out of the dark, you know, entities that are out there. Mm-hmm. If, if you're selling legalized marijuana that's grown in America and, and taxed, you're taking money out of the hands of, of organized crime and, mm-hmm. and, and, uh, and putting it in the main, mainstream. And I'm sure that there's still going to be always some black market, but you'll really chisel away at that black market. Those to me seem to be the main arguments for legalization and... And that's kind of what I got. Your book really doesn't deal with that, but you sort of reference that a little bit. It's just the, the regularity of some of the products that are out there, at least. Right. You're, you're going to see the black market get smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller. 
And it's, then it's going to be driven primarily by economic means. Mm-hmm. I'm going to give you an example. I think this, it was in the 1970s. Uh, I can remember when cable, cable came out, right? And I remember my brother was so excited because he bought this cable thing, this little box. and was Now, that's black market, right? He didn't buy it from the sure, manufacturer. Yeah. And that allowed him to watch HBO without paying for it. On the cable channel, you had to have, have, had, to, had to had a cable subscription, but then you can buy this box, the decoder see, box, yeah, the decoder yeah. box, and you could see HBO and you could see Showtime and all this other stuff. That's black market driven by economics, right? Right. People that live in Vermont on this, we're on the. Not that I ever do this. Let me just be clear that I never do this, and I always report all of my New Hampshire purchases to pay their taxes. But there are some people along this mat, this New Hampshire Vermont border, that come into New Hampshire, buy their products because it's tax free, and then go back into Vermont. Whether it's liquor, because there's you know you don't have to pay a bottle deposit right. in New Hampshire. So if you if you go into New Hampshire and buy a, a six pack of beer you're saving you know 50 30 cents right then and there because it's five cents for each one sure. of the bottle deposit that you have to pay in vermont and so you save for that the taxes are different a lot people cross the border all the time now is that a black market is that legal now the state of vermont would say yes that's illegal you're in on the in on your income taxes there's a place where you're supposed to report how much that you buy out of state so that you can pay the sales tax on it. Right. Right. So there all, there's always going to be this level of, of, of illegal activity that's driven by economy. And you see that, in, you see that even in states where it's legal, mm-hmm. right? There's all this hype from, the, from the, the health professionals that are trying to scare us that say, the black market's not gone away. Well, yeah, the black market's not gone away because it's not fully penetrated yet. So you can go into, to if you know, if I go down to Massachusetts and I buy some gummies and then I come back and I sell it to somebody in Vermont and they say, well, I say, well, it cost me thirty bucks, and they said, well, I'll give you forty for your trouble. Well, I've suddenly moved into the black market. Right. Right. That's a black market deal. I bought it, brought it, sold it, made more money. Right, and that's and I can see myself easily doing that. Sure. Right. Yeah. Hey, let me give you ten bucks for gas. Mm -hmm. Right, and then suddenly, next thing you know, um, I have a regular caravan going back and forth. Next thing you know, you're a drug dealer, (laughs) right? right? Right. So legalization versus decriminalization, Uh, we see the really uh, dichotomy here on the border between New Hampshire and Vermont. Uh, New Hampshire has decriminalized certain amounts, very small amounts, so you get a traffic ticket, basically the equivalent of just a violation, but. The laws in New Hampshire for larger amounts are still excessive. Um, we're aware of somebody who allegedly agreed to receive a shipment by mail and has is facing just extraordinary penalties. Um, in Vermont, the same product, the same you walk, you know, you go a mile in in uh, uh, west of here, and the same product not only doesn't get you a violation, it's completely legal. When you have decriminalization, like we do in New Hampshire, one of the things that it's, it seems to have created is a uh, an idea that it's legal. So then you've got people that are crossing all of these lines, and before you know it, they've crossed into the line of now they're facing real jail time because they had a little bit too much, a little bit more than what the state is allowing. Right, right. And there's also now a lot more bandwidth to prosecute those folks because the people that had smaller amounts are no longer in the system. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 
in Vermont, you've got that still to some degree because while it's legal, if you go over a certain quantity, you're facing some real penalties, I would assume. It sounds like neither one of us are lawyers or right, really right. know what those are. But to me, that's, that's a little scary is, is when it's, you know, you've got this legalization up to a certain amount or you've got decriminalization, you still create, in New Hampshire, you've got still this whole black market for supply. There's no legal supply method here at all. You can't grow it. You certainly can't buy it. You can't sell it. In Vermont, it's a little more gray, but still, you can go down to Massachusetts, pick up some, bring it back and sell it to your friends, and now perhaps you're crossing a boundary. I don't really know, but it's, but it's a little scary. So as we see this, this movement, we hear certain candidates for president and such talking about full legalization of marijuana. To you, that must sound appealing. How do you feel about legalization in general? I think that would be great, right? It's, it would eliminate the, the problems that you're just talking about right here because you end up with these discrepancies from state to state. Then you have to deal with if someone's bringing marijuana. From a health professional standpoint, if someone brings something out of the brat, that uh, from the black market, is this what's the what are they taking in? Um, were they were they arrested and they get if someone gets arrested and then sent to drug rehab right. in New Hampshire because they're over a certain limit, is and if they were in Vermont with that same amount, they wouldn't be in drug rehab. So does that mean that that person in, in New Hampshire is a drug addict, but the person in Vermont is not? I mean, it's it's this legal stuff that's that's meant, and I totally get it. Right. It's if if you get we, we know, for example, that if someone gets a DWI, that statistically, statistically speaking for that person, and of course it's statistics. Right. But for that person to get that DWI, that person has driven somewhere between eight and a thousand times drunk wow. to get that DWI. So that's a pretty clear piece. Someone comes in and says, well, I was just unlucky. Right? right. That's if someone has two DWIs, boy, <laughs> really, that's not really true, right? You can't be that unlucky that you just got drunk two right. times and got a DWI twice. They were lucky right. eight hundred or thousand right. times, <laughs> right? Yeah. And so that's a pretty clear line when you see that stuff, and that's a cr consistent across the states, right? With and how people prosecute for for DWIs, you don't see that. You're not going to see that for marijuana until it's legal. It's going to create problems, right? You can. Biden. I have a client who is uh, a coaching client mm -hmm. who owns a big marijuana farm in Oregon. Uh, and uh, he's actually getting out of it because, as he just told me last week, he says, we're, we're going to sell it because the government regulations in Oregon are just stifling. Mm -hmm. And the government regulations in another state, they're going to take that money out and invest it in another state. He said, because the, the regulations just aren't there because really the state doesn't give a crap about the regulations because they want the money from the taxes that they're going to get sure. on the marijuana sales. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So he's, he's yeah, and in fact, he described the other state. He's like, we're moving it to the other state because um, it's like a wild, wild west here. He said, marijuana, we can sell it for $3,000 a pound. Hmm. He said, we were selling it for $300 a pound in Oregon. Wow. It's like a big difference, that's right? A, that's massive. It's a big difference, and until the until the until the um, government gets it together, these little things that the states are doing, until the federal government gets it together, these little things that the states are doing, are just stopgap measures. Sure. Right. It's like it's like a great example: gay marriage. 
mm-hmm. right? Gay marriage, civil unions, I'm legal in this state, but I'm not legal in that state. I'm legal here, but now we move to Texas and we want to get a divorce, but Texas doesn't recognize it. It's a mess, right? Sure. That's a mess. And the same thing happen, is, is going to happen with marijuana until the federal government gets it together. Yeah, it's going to be all over the board. So in your, um, in your counseling, one of the things that we've run into is that uh, in, in our businesses, we uh, have employed a lot of people who are in recovery. And of course, being in the Northeast, recovery here typically means somebody that's either trying to get away from alcohol or trying to get away from heroin or other opiates. And um, I don't know if it's official or unofficial, but we see some of these folks are using cannabis to help them to eliminate and keep uh, these heavier drugs, these opiates out of their life. What's your experience been with that? Have you had any experience with people getting off opiates and utilizing cannabis? I've had people that have gotten off opiates and, and other substances and, and substituted cannabis. The, 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 the bottom line for this, and, and this may sound really harsh, is that your people really aren't addicted to a substance. They're addicted to the feeling. Right. They're addicted to that feeling, whatever that feeling is, of uh, however you want to describe it, of you know the world spinning, not thinking about things, feeling really relaxed. That's what they're craving and what they're wanting. Sorry, mm-hmm. I shut. I thought I shut this off. This is my T-Mobile phone that's going off. I'm going to shut this off. Sorry about that. That's okay. Yeah, you know, so a lot of what I've seen, uh, or I guess what I hear is. The idea of escapism, you know, they're utilizing right. some type of product to, uh, to escape the reality that they're, that they're dealing with. And, uh, you know, of course, there's all sorts of different things that cause people to seek that type of escape or that euphoria that you're talking about. But have you seen cannabis being used to successfully? I mean, cannabis, as far as we know, is pretty much not life-threatening. I mean, there are things you can probably do with it that would, you know, lower your inhibitions, maybe make you make a bad decision, uh, I suspect. But, um, but all in all, it's much less, seems to be much less fatal than, than alcohol and certainly a lot less fatal than a lot of these other drugs and these opiates. So right. Although you, I can tell you, when you, if you smoke too much at one time, yeah. it does feel a little life-threatening. Like you're going to die. Yeah? <laughs> Which is why you've seen some people that you've, you've seen in some states, like they, there was just a report on, um, in, uh, Colorado about since marijuana has become legal, there's the the ER visits from people taking edibles has skyrocketed. And I, I, another drug counselor said to me, she said, "See, this is proof. This is this is proof that legal marijuana is bad because people are taking these edibles and they're going to the emergency room." And I said to her, I said, "People aren't going to the emergency room because of edibles." They're going to the emergency room because of impatience. Mm-hmm. That, that's it. They take an edible, and it takes 90 minutes when you t- after you've taken an edible for that to really kick in. Okay. You kind of ramp up to it slowly. It's not like smoking a joint or doing a, a hit off a vape, which you bring in through your lungs, which is really quick, right? Because there's a lot of blood flow going through your lungs, goes right to your head. So you take an edible, and you're supposed to wait, you know, an hour, hour and a half before you take another edible. Well, we live in the I want it now society, right? 
we live we live in the beer bong society, right? Pure people. We live in the you know tequila shooter society. I want this. I want a buzz now. So people take an edible and they're impatient, and then they take another one, and they're like, oh Jesus, it's been an it's been forty five minutes. I'm taking another one, and then you get to the half an hour mark, and then or the hour mark, and then things start to click in. And because you've taken a whole bunch, then you're just flat on the floor. That's impatience, not, it has nothing to do with the edibles other than the fact that it takes a while for it to hit you. But if you see somebody who, if you, if you take the, uh, the THC out and you replace it with an opiate, if you put that same person taking an opiate, uh, you know, an, an inexperienced user, taking an opiate, taking another one, taking another one, they're not going to end up on the floor and go to the emergency room. They're going to be, right. it's going to be a fatal the, the, mistake. Well, the, yes, right, because the, the impact of that opiate on their system as a depressant, it's going to lower their heart rate, it's going to impact their central nervous system, they're going to die from that, right? That's why we have Narcan to help, right. you know, bring, and I'm an EMT, we, we have Narcan to just go and help we, people. We keep Narcan in our, in our business. Yeah, yeah, it's it's an, it's, an, it's an important piece because if someone's overdosed on that, that's and that's only a short term piece, right? That Narcan's going to wear off and they're going to be back on the floor. Right. Uh, but the 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 physiological impact is certainly less, right? Than yeah. than than some of these other. Substances. Well, that's my question. So so you're the person you were talking to that was talking about well, see these these ER visits have escalated. When these folks are going to the ER because they've taken too many edibles and they've got too much THC in their system, what's the outcome of that? Obviously, we're not looking. Or I don't think we're looking at fatalities here. We're not reading about any fatalities from this. No, they're just basically trying to calm these people down. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Relax, yeah. enjoy it, right? And in fact, the marijuana industry doesn't even. This and this is the marijuana industry. They don't even use the word overdose. Right. They use the word overconsume. Okay. In that, that's their little marijuana marketing piece. No, we don't overdose with marijuana. We overconsume. So there's nothing that they can really do when they go to the ER room. You know, what they need, this is what they need, is they need some education. And this is what would happen if there was a clear, this is how much marijuana impacts you. These right. people need a marijuana 101 class. Mm -hmm. Watch this video. So the next time you take an edible, you don't wait five minutes and take another one and end up back here because you're freaking out. Perhaps another argument for legalization. More information's out there. It's regulated. People are out in the open. They're not hiding in the shadows. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So, so back to the idea of, of using cannabis to help folks who are addicted to opiates. Have, have you had any experience with that where you believe in it or do you think that's probably not that helpful? I think it's, I think a lot of these things that, you know, that, that marijuana can help with are, are really need to be evaluated in a longitudinal study, right? It's, there, and until it's legal, right? Until, we're, until we've got, we can say, all right, well, we've, we had this group of heroin addicts that we did you know, marijuana therapy with, and this was the outcome five years later. And this, we had this group of people that, we, that smoked marijuana and thought they were getting marijuana tincture and it was really a placebo mm -hmm. and this is where they're at five years later until we have that type of study that we can say you know let's compare this then we're going to then we would know but we're not going to know until it's legal across the board and you can do those types of studies right yeah because right now it's there aren't really that many 
opportunities to do those types of studies. I remember reading about how much, how many different permissions it would take for a medical entity to conduct any type of study on marijuana. Ten years ago, it was it was virtually impossible to do so. Right, and then and then it becomes just a matter of right now, currently, today. It's a matter of opinion. When I'm a wise doctor, and this is what I think, and I've had four clients who had heroin issues, and they all did fine with marijuana therapy. Therefore, marijuana therapy is good for everybody. Right. Right. That's not. A, that's not. If we applied that to seatbelts or whatever, people would laugh. People would laugh. Right. Yeah. Right. I drove home from the store four times without my seatbelt on, and I didn't have an accident, and I'm fine. Therefore, seatbelts are useless. Take them out of all cars. Well, and you do see, to some degree, the pro-legalization movement, you kind of do see them sort of saying, you know, marijuana, THC, it's a cure-all. Oh, you know, gosh, you can cure yeah. cancer, it cures glaucoma. It's right, a, athlete's foot, control. everything, you name right. it, it fixes it. Whereas right? in reality, there probably are some pretty decent medical uses for it, but we just don't really have a lot of science on it yet. Right. Yeah, you go to a pro-marijuana website, and they're going to be like, there are 90 different chemicals right. in this, right? And boy, that's going to cure everything. And then you go to the the you know, the, the sketchy, fear-driven public health website, and they're like, there are 90 chemicals in this. <laughs> you want to be careful what you're doing. toxins, right? right. It's going to yeah. kill you, yeah. right? Yeah, so my only personal experience, I haven't personally smoked weed since I was in high school, and uh, I'm not, a, you know, I... I'm not big into anything that I can get addicted to. I have too much of an addictive personality. But my personal experience has been with CBD over the past year. Um, I think I shared with you previously, I've got an old dog. He's a little guy and uh, he's a little gorky. And when he hit about, uh, I guess, 11 years old, he started to have trouble going up and down the stairs. Um, and uh, he developed, uh, he's got a, a swollen heart, so he's got a wheezing cough. And I was down at the uh, local feed store picking up some other products and noticed that they had CBD honey. And I had heard that it might help dogs and I just figured I'll spend the 30 bucks. I bought a jar of CBD honey and I started that night. I think I gave him just a half a teaspoon. And this dog went from being, you know, needing to be carried up and down the stairs to literally running up and down the stairs. And then uh, as a amateur, you know, weightlifter, I go to the gym four days a week just to keep looking mm -hmm. like this. Mm -hmm. um, I have pretty wrecked shoulders and I um, tried some CBD spray on my shoulders and I found it really makes a difference. So obviously there's a lot of truth to the ideas that these chemicals that are naturally occurring can really help us. We just need to learn more about it. So I'm, you know, I'm, I'm sold on CBD just from those two angles and I understand there's a lot more. A lot more possible. Yeah, my spouse takes CBD yeah. um, with Lyme Lyme's disease, mm -hmm. and 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 swears it's very very helpful. Yeah. It's but it's all anecdotal, right? right. It's, it, it, who knows whether it's helpful helpful or not, right? I don't know. The uh, we we did find a place that because a friend of mine had told me about he he got CBD gummies from his mom from 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 someplace, and he it was he gave us some and said try these and. Also unregulated, right? Because it said fifteen thousand strength. He's like, I don't know what that means. Yeah. What does that mean? He's like, Does it mean fifteen thousand for the you know hundred and fifty gummies that are in there? What does it mean? It means fifteen times stronger than the first gummy that we ever made. And so I did some research, and for the CBD that I got for Brian, it's it's like twenty milligrams per capsule. Mm -hmm. So th there's a sense of how much you're taking. 
right. um, and you can kind of gauge, should I take less, should I take more, is, you know, 20 milligrams. You can report to your doctor, I'm taking 20 milligrams you know, of CBD in a capsule versus, you know, I'm taking a strawberry gummy with God knows what in it. And that's all over the board, too. I was in one of the local shops that sells a variety of CBD products, and, and I whipped out my calculator, and I was trying to break down the price per, per whatever milligram, I think it was, is what they listed in. And the, the discrepancy is tremendous. Even, that's, even though it's, they're counting it, or they're at least telling you what they claim right. is in there, there is still no consistency, really, even to pricing as in, in the different types of delivery. Right. So I think that'll probably change. It's time. interesting you mentioned the consistency piece and the, and the price and trying to figure out what's what. The studies that have been done, because there have been a couple of studies that have been done about consistency across marijuana products, have been done primarily from an economic perspective hmm. to make sure that the state is getting the cash <laughs> course, it's supposed yeah. to get, right? <laughs> right. It's, it's not done from a, oh, well, we need to inform the public or we need to have a consistent piece so that people aren't taking too much and feeling wasted for their whole evening. It's... No, if you if you if we are taxing this much THC, then we better be taxing consistently across all these products. And it makes a lot of sense. Well, we'll let them do that. Then they'll find that consistency <laughs> for us. So, um, so in regard to your book, what else do you want to tell us about it? It's uh, it's not your only book as well, but it's your only book that you've written that that I can see that's about marijuana use uh, primarily, anyway, and. And it's um, your other books you've written are, are more about uh, from your coaching perspective. You're, you're a life coach mm -hmm. and uh, coaching and motivation, uh, right? I wrote a book on motivational interviewing, and I've got actually another one that I'm writing. Yeah. And and mainly I write about stuff that I'm for. T there's two things: am I interested in it, and uh, is there a potential market? So I'm thinking about things that people aren't necessarily talking about. I wrote a book about, for example, Good King Henry. And that's not the, um, you know, not, not the Good King Henry from medieval times. Good mm -hmm. King Henry is a plant. Okay. And it's, a, it's basically perennial spinach. Mm -hmm. So the nice thing about it, because as I'm getting older, I, want, I don't want to be toiling in the garden forever. So things like asparagus strawberries, rhubarb, those types of things that are coming up over and over again. Yeah. You don't have to kill yourself to plant every year are attractive. And then I discovered Good King Henry, which is uh, like spinach. You cook it like spinach, you eat it like spinach. And once you plant it, it's difficult to get going. But once you plant it and it takes, then it spreads like crazy. Hmm. And uh, so I wrote a book about that because nobody else had a book on that piece. Yeah. And so it's a very specific market of people who even know what Good King Henry is uh, and are interested in trying it out and growing it. And so the same thing is, is with the marijuana book and stuff. I'm seeing things that is not getting addressed or are not getting addressed. And I'm wanting to uh, bring a voice to that. Sure. So what I would tell people about the book is that it's short. Mm -hmm. um, I, I, I try to get right to the point and I want to bring up some of these issues to the forefront because public health professionals need to get on board with this to kind of shape our discussion lest we find ourselves in the peacock predicament. And by peacock predicament, I'm referring to the fact that I don't know, was it five years ago, 10 years ago, when they started talking about all these service animal things? And uh, 
the rules for what constitutes a service animal versus a guide dog and this and that and what you can ask. And the next thing you know, people are bringing uh, emotional support peacocks on airplanes. Now, I doubt that five, 10 years ago, the health professionals and the policymakers ever thought that people would try to bring goats, snakes, peacocks, pigeons, uh, pot-bellied pigs, and insist that they fly for free in their own seat on an airplane because they are an emotional support animal. Yet we have this huge mess. People getting bit by dogs that are not really guide dogs, but they have a little fake little vest that says emotional patch on the, I mean, emotional support animal in the Portland airport. Someone's suing Portland airport because of that. I mean, it, that's a mess. It could have been um, avoided. And we can avoid this mess down the road with marijuana. So I wanted to get a piece out there so people could do a quick read and then people can take some of these concepts and develop it more and and grow it and say, wait a minute, Scott said this about, you know, about marijuana smoking. Well, I, I you know, let's talk about Keef, you know, which is another form of distilled marijuana product that you can get. And he didn't talk about that much in his book. Let me talk about that more. Right. And we move down this road together. Um, and it's a, it's I I think or my when I, when I wrote the book, my I was striving to be objective and not be in the scare camp or the pro-marijuana mm -hmm. camp, but really be in the, hey, where we're going to be in five years, 10 years, let's talk about these issues now. Yeah. One last marijuana question for you. Uh, microdosing, something I had in, I had in my notes to ask you about. Uh, microdosing, you mentioned, well, why don't you tell us what it is? So this is an interesting piece because the, just as an aside, one of the scare tactics that you hear from the... Uh, health professionals is, you know, marijuana is more potent than it was 10 years ago, 20 years ago. In 1970s, it was this, and now it's that. That's all baloney. It's total bull. Because, at, especially as we move into a product piece or distilled piece, the marijuana that they're putting in these things is 100% marijuana. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't matter whether it's 70% marijuana or 25% marijuana. It's it, it, it's all going to get distilled to 100% marijuana. And as the only one government um, in one of their studies, the government of New Zealand, hey, New Zealand, cool place, right? They said that people, are, com people are, are complaining and focusing on the potency issue of marijuana, but they're not really asking the key quest question, which is, is as marijuana is more potent, are people smoking less? Right. <laughs> That's really what it is, right? It's like instead of complaining about the potency, let's look at people's behaviors. So this issue of microdosing, which I think is a piece that um, we are going to see as marijuana becomes legal and available in various forms, microdosing is where you take a little bit of marijuana. So picture an eye drop. You've got a dropper bottle. And that dropper bottle is full of, um, you can go to the marijuana store and buy a dropper, dropper bottle that's got 480 drops in it. And each drop in that bottle is one gram of THC. And so you might think, and this is anecdotal, this is just my opinion, right? So you might think, just as a comparative piece, that... Um, 
four drops, four drops is equal to a good hit off of a uh, off of a current joint of 17 to 20 percent marijuana, right? So you get four drops, and that and you and you and you've got a good buzz, and you're high. So what microdosing is is you can take a, a drop and then a half an hour take another drop and another and a half an hour take another drop and another half an hour take another drop and on and on and on. And so you are kind of wasted all the time, but you're not blasted all the time, but you're feeling good, but you're not in, totally imbibed. Mm-hmm. That should be a, that should be a big concern for folks if someone's going around doing that. Right. As a comparative, if if somebody came up to you and saying you said, "So what's going on with you?" and they said, "Well, you know what? I have a I have a half a glass of wine at 8 a.m. and then at 8:30 I have another half a glass of wine. Nine o'clock I have another half a glass of wine. Then at 10 o'clock I'm feeling a little loopy. I have." A quarter of a glass of wine so they're not blasted but they're right on that edge of all the time and so the the potential of that is that someone can get into big trouble really easily from that but the other potential of that is that we could easily um, end up with people kind of just being kind of stoned all the time I don't know if that's a good thing right I don't know if that's a really good thing if and part of this piece, though, the, the, the last piece, I've been talking a lot about the scare tactics from the, from the health professionals. I should mention the other side because this whole framing of marijuana from a medical perspective is going to get us in big, big trouble um, five, ten years down the road. Because marijuana is not medicine, although it can be medicine. But in, if, if we frame it from that... Then you're going to get, you're, I mean, picture somebody being, picture you coming to work and somebody saying, I'm anxious. And you walk into their office and say, what's going on? It's nine o'clock in the morning and I'm having a Bloody Mary. Because you know what? I'm diagnosed with anxiety and that's going to help me get through the day. So I have to be drunk all day to get through my day. And so I got to have a Bloody Mary in the morning, Bloody Mary in the mid-morning. I have a uh, shot of tequila at noon, um, vodka tonic in the afternoon, and that really helps me with my anxiety. That same thing could easily happen with marijuana around the whole medical framing, the dosing framing, um, and someone's going to be like, you're, you're violating my rights by not allowing me to come stoned to work. Sure, absolutely. Easily, yeah. easily, right? We, we, we live in the society where people are bringing their freaking peacocks on airplanes. It is not a big jump that someone's going to say, you're violating my civil rights by not allowing me to, you know, to take my dose. I need to take my dose. Um, so that's what microdosing is. And there's actually, in my book, there's a blog post of somebody who microdosed for a week, hmm. and uh, it's in the. I try to do a nice curated bibliography of stuff that I found interesting while I was researching this stuff. And there was a person who did, I don't know, it's like twenty pages long, where she's like, I got up for breakfast and I had a dose, and this is what my granola tasted like, and then I did another dose, and this is what I did in the afternoon, and then I I drove to the gym, and this is what it was like working out while I was kind of high, but not totally high, and went through her entire week of of microdosing. It's just wild. 
Yeah, I have to say, on the uh, for the microdosing, I do know people that microdose with alcohol, and uh, it's scary. I mean, you know that person's driving around over the limit. Um, it's uh, obviously very unhealthy, and uh, you can see how that would carry over to marijuana. You can see it coming from a medical perspective. People, as they replace other pain treatments with marijuana, anxiety treatments with marijuana, um, I, I agree with you. It's just a matter of time, and obviously there has to be a way to to know how to address all of that. Right, right. And it's important to recognize, you know, people are like, oh, in, in Vermont, there's been this big push about, you know, well, how are we going to know when someone's wasted? We have to do a blood blood test on them and stuff right. like that. Yeah. You know, this, this whole <clears throat> blood alcohol level thing that's out there is, what's the word I want to use? I don't want, I don't want to say it's arbitrary, but it's, it, it, the line, you can, you can get a DWI and not be over the limit. Sure. The 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 line of what the limit is is just a arbitrary decision about blood alcohol content that people decided when you're over this, cut and dry. Right? If we detect you over this, we don't have to prove that you were wasted while you're driving. Yeah, over the limit, impaired, right? boom, you go. Mm-hmm. But you can be impaired and get a DWI and have half and be at half the legal limit. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the things as a drug and alcohol counselor, we strive to educate folks about that this it's not, you know, you can actually buy these blood alcohol sensors where you blow into it and it will tell you if you're over the limit. Well, that's not going to get you out of a ticket if you if you get in a car accident right. and they smell alcohol on your breath. You're going to get charged with a DWI, well, even if you're below the limit. And so the the police, you know, back in the day would make you do these roadside sobriety tests, touching your nose, doing this and all of that stuff. Which, you know, if you're if you're high on marijuana, you're not going to be able to touch your nose. <laughs> you're not going to be able to walk the line, and that's what people are going to end up having to use until we figure out some way of actually detecting marijuana like we can with alcohol. Yeah, that seems to be a real concern when you look at the, um, when you read from the anti-legalization um, talking points or, or uh, you know, their different arguments that they make is that in states where legalization has occurred, the traffic fatalities are up. But once again, in the book that I'm looking at right now, there's not a lot of discussion about how actual population Changes. They're not talking about traffic fatalities per capita, so it's still it's a lot of gray area out there. I think when Colorado legalized, there was a another sort of a gold rush, a green rush to Colorado. You saw all these people moving. We knew a family that just up and left. Really? <laughs> yeah. They <laughs> pulled their kids out of school and moved to Colorado, and they closed their business and opened a new one over there. And uh, and you know, undoubtedly motivated because they were definitely people that enjoyed their uh, cannabis. And, uh, and I know the population, or I, I believe the population has increased in Colorado. And, and I, you know, obviously there's a lot of tourism for uh, cannabis in the states that have legalized. And so the increase in traffic fatalities, traffic accidents, it's hard to know whether that's because of the increased population, the increased tourism, or if people are actually driving impaired and it's really limiting their ability. I still, once again, I think that there's not a lot of research on that yet. Right. People grab a statistic and run with it. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. And, and and we have to sort out, right, the, the, the fake news, not to, I, I hate that term, but yeah. the <laughs> fake news that we hear oftentimes from our president, from the real news, it's it's really the, it, the, the piece is how can we... Um, be clear and make judgments and not just get wrapped up with whatever meme or stupid 
video thing that we're watching on Facebook is telling us to believe in at any one time. That's it. Use, use, use the actual numbers. Use science. Right. Make some real, right. real, Absolutely. real determinations. Um, well, I, I just wanted to comment on your book. Uh, I, I agree with you. The bibliography, all the information that you put in the back is uh, ex- extensive. I don't, you don't see a lot of books with that many different links. Um, it's, it's full of references. It's full of information. Uh, you could spend... I think your book is probably, it's a fairly quick read. Mm-hmm. I think I, I don't remember the exact amount of time, but, but the amount of information that you have uh, beyond is extensive. You could lose yourself for, for days in just the research that you've referenced and, and all the different links and such. Um, how do people get your book? Tell us about it. You can go to Amazon.com. All, all my books are on Amazon. Yep. And you can just look for... Uh, what's the name of it again? Um, um, <laughs> you know, I, we, we, we ran through a bunch of different titles yeah. just saying, should we call it cannabis? Because somebody said in the, the, the pro-marijuana people are cannabis, 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 right. cannabis. We don't want to say marijuana. We don't want to say it's, marijuana. It's a racial that's term. That's a racial right? yeah. term now. And, and I'll tell you, I've been, I've been in a, in the, as a drug counselor for 30 years. Mm-hmm. I worked in the inner cities of Tampa, Florida as a prevention specialist in the 1980s. And worked my way up here, working impatient, and I have never, ever experienced marijuana as a racial term. Ever. Ever. Welcome to 2019, right? It's a a spin on it that people are putting to be like, oh no, it's it's cannabis because they want to, and it's coming from the two sides, the people that want to be politically correct and the, and the marijuana people that want to say, well, you know, it's cannabis, and we go to our cannabis dispensary, which is another piece that's absolutely ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Just one last point. You think about this. When you want groceries, where do you go? Grocery what? Right, the store. Yeah. When you want liquor, where do you go? Liquor. Store. Right? Mm-hmm. We don't go to the liquor dispensary. We don't go to the... Right, but that whole piece is... You, they try to make it a pharma, pharmacy. They're trying to make it into a mini pharmacy so that people are then thinking about it from a medical perspective, which is ridiculous right. and going to get us in trouble. Yeah. It's going to get us in big trouble. So anyway, uh, your title of your book is Determining Marijuana Use in the Age of Legalization. There we go. That's it. Go. And if they look you up on Amazon just as an author, G. Scott Graham. Yep. They'll find the other nine books that I've, or other eight books that I've written besides this, everything from how to train from a mar- to, to run a marathon mm-hmm. by mowing your lawn, mm-hmm. uh, to some books about coaching, to Good King Henry. I'm working on a book on meditation that's going to be coming out in a couple of months, and I'm working on a book on cold frames that are not the band, right. uh, growing your own food in a cold frame. So we've, And I've played around with this. So I've got vegetables coming up this month in my backyard covered with snow. Nice. That's pretty cool. Yeah, very diverse. Um, well, Scott, how else can people find you? Uh, they can go to my website, which is trueazimuth, T-R-U-E-A-Z-I-M-U-T-H dot biz, or they can even actually just give me a call at 617-475-0081, and I really do answer that phone myself. Well, thank you very much. It's been a pleasure here on our inaugural podcast of uh, Radio Free New Hampshire. And uh, I look forward to reading your upcoming books. Uh, very diverse, but uh, really good information. If there's anything like this one, uh, there'll be a lot of good stuff for all of us. So thank you very much. Hey, you're welcome, Nick. It's good to be here. All right, there you go. Episode one is in the bag. Thank you very much to Mr. G. Scott Graham for coming out today to talk about his new book, 
And thank you very much to all of you for listening. Don't be a stranger. Check us out again soon here on Radio Free New Hampshire.